Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Dear Katie, where survivors of sexual assault, rape, and abuse share their stories from hurt to healing. I'm your host, Katie Kessner. When I was age 18, I appeared on the cover of Time Magazine to speak out nationally and really internationally as a victim of acquaintance rape. And since then, I've dedicated my entire life, my career, all of my energy to helping survivors and really raising awareness around sexual assault, ultimately to end sexual violence in all forms. In today's episode of Dear Katie Survivor Stories, I'm joined by my co-host, Kavita, and we interview Tracy Jewell, a star of the Australian version of Married at First Sight. Tracy described her experience in being sexually harassed by her boss, and she really couldn't believe that it could go on for so long that he simply didn't get it. And she goes over what the signs and symptoms were of how she realized that she was being manipulated and abused. And now she is on a powerful journey to share not only her story, but to work with others throughout Australia to raise awareness about this important cause. Welcome to the Dear Katie podcast. My name is Katie Kessner. And I'm so pleased to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of our podcast to share the survivor journeys of so many amazing um, people who have been affected by sexual violence. Um, our host tonight, co-host, is Kavita. Kavita, can you please um, join our listeners with a little bit of a warning about what might happen? Thank you to all of our listeners and to our guest, Tracy Jewell. We know that the content of this podcast may be emotionally difficult, and we want to support you through your healing. We also encourage you to care for your safety and well-being, so please reach out to friends, family, and hotlines for support. Additional resources can be found on the Take Back the Night Foundation website, and we will share that address with you towards the end of our podcast. Thank you so much, Kavita. And our guest today is Tracy from Australia, so far away, but so close on a screen. Tracy, could you share a little bit about who you are and um, help our, our listeners know what your experience has been just so far? Thanks, Katie, for the beautiful introduction. And Kavita, it is an honor to be here and share my story. And, you know, I understand by sharing you know, it's really part of the healing process. And yes, I'm all the way from Australia, but this is such a global worldwide issue. And that's why I'm just so, you know, happy and honoured to, to be here sharing it. Um, as we all know, with COVID um, and the uncertainty of the world we now live in, um, I found a job, very gratefully found a job um, when I really needed it. and Pretty much from day one, unfortunately, um, I was not only sexually harassed, but um, sexually touched unwantedly um, by a superior to me, uh, which continued um, for many months. And at that time, I really needed the job and I just pretended it wasn't happening. Uh, I would go to work every day worried and anxious and at the same time, I just really needed the money. So 
So I just wanted to pretend it wasn't happening. Casey, let me just interrupt for a moment just to give context. So how long ago was this employment? Uh, This was last year. Last year. And it was what kind of, um, were you in a commercial real estate? What what was the genre? Uh, I work in marketing. Marketing for corporations or private businesses? Yeah, a company, which is the U.S. equivalent of a corporation. Got it. So you took this job. You showed up for work in marketing, and you were assigned a boss. Yeah, assigned a superior that I I worked under. Mm -hmm. And how did it go the first time you met? I'm just, I I think we should just start with the beginning. Like, how did you meet this individual? Yeah, what was your sense and your vibe, like, when you first met them? Yeah, so it's someone that I had known of for many years before I mean I come from a small city where you know when you work in an industry you kind of cross paths with a lot of these people you know at networking events and you know at different different events and different conferences um so I knew of this person um and your initial question when you it's a him you pronoun you met him for the first time and yeah I I just knew that there was an air of inappropriateness and I think it started with the comments and just this, you know, insinuation of... Can you quote? Can you remember something he said? So, like, you look really nice or, oh, you look really pretty today or you're... You, he said, you look really nice. Let me just ask this. Um, I was thinking, Tracy... Uh, there's been many, I'm like way older than you, but there's been many times when men have said, I've showed up on a stage or for an interview for some really kind of famous folks. And they say, oh, you look, your outfit is great. Or you look really nice, but you know what they're not doing? They're not looking at me in the eye. They're also scanning my whole body. Did you sense that? Was that subtly there or not yeah and it was like oh your, yeah and it was like oh your skin is glowing it was these type of comments that you know threw me off guard because I you expect questions about what have you worked on before or something to do with your skills where all his comments were physical they were nothing about my resume or clients I have worked with in the past those first initial conversations were all physical comments. And then it started from there to saying things that shouldn't be said, like in, like I'll give you an example. So in front of a boardroom of clients and people, he would, you know, introduce me and say, I'm there at their disposal. And he would say, you are there let me clarify for our readers, our listeners. Are they saying you are there or that interviewer is there? Were they actually proffering you to be at disposal for a lot of people? What do you think? Yeah. And and the behavior, let me be clear, only came from this one particular person, not the boardroom of people. Yeah. But the way he introduced me would be like that I'm there for everyone. and they might have taken it like 
I'm just there to help. But I knew because of the inference in his tone was like, I'm so beneath everyone and I'm just there, you know, for everyone to look at. Yeah. How did that make you feel? I felt cheap. Yeah, I felt cheap and I felt like I was just like I was back in the 1950s and chained to a kitchen, to be honest. But I want to say this, Tracy. Unfortunately, I feel like for many of us who identify as she pronoun women, we there's that like when anyone compliments our glowing visage, our skin tone, there's that like moment where like, oh, my gosh, I'm I'm valued. And I feel like we're still on this precipice of my brain versus my beauty. And I think for many of our listeners, you're speaking their language, Tracy, and you're saying like, no, I could land better on, I'm more than my my outer surface. And you knew that from the get-go, is that true? Yes. And, you know, I like it, this is the thing, going into that environment, I was full of confidence, you know, I have a postgraduate degree from university and it didn't take much to start unraveling and start questioning why I was there. Like it it honestly took like a couple of weeks for me to start questioning, did I belong there? Did I have the skills? Because they weren't commented on my, my skills and, and my work and, and you know what, when they were commented on and I was praised for my work, it was after an incident of him touching me or me allowing him to talk to me like that. And who did the compliment? Was he in charge of compliments? Was he the compliment in charge? Yeah. So you felt then what I'm hearing yeah. say, Tracy, is like I had to do these things to be worthy of a compliment. Yes, and when I didn't allow the behaviour and when I said stop or don't do that, he would punish me and put me down. How did you do that, though? How, how, how did you, you know, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. Your story is in your narrative is so powerful, Tracy. We've not talked about this on our podcast ever. And when you say stop, I think a lot of our listeners are hearing you and there's like, stop, like, don't do. And there's also like, um, please don't. And there's like the coy kind of, how did you do your version of stop that you thought should have been recognized? Mine, mine started with the coy um, toning. Like I would play it down because I was so scared of getting fired or his behavior like a Jekyll and Hyde. So I would like be, now isn't play, I'd say things like, now isn't play appropriate. Um, you know, now let's just focus on business. So it wasn't like a stop, right? It was like a- No, you're brilliant. That was, that, that, that was brilliant, Tracy. Kudos, snap, snap, snap. That was like the brilliant pivot. You were like, of course, like this is the best I can do without effing or pissing or whatever the- expletive insert like i want my job please take these subtle hints you were so brilliant tracy i think you could give coaching classes on it yeah 
But it's like this fine line. I felt like, it, honestly, I, it's like a metaphor of a dance. I felt like I was always dancing between this boundary and this line of allowing his behavior, but trying to stop his behavior. And I was like, I felt like I was managing his emotions. Oh, let's talk a little bit about that, Tracy. Wondering if you could share kind of what how you were feeling kind of doing this dance, so to speak. And then also, what do you think that the perpetrator was feeling in doing in kind of having to also kind of be in this dance, so to speak? I was feeling scared of always pushing it too far because I knew from saying no before at that time that he would turn into this sulking, upset, ignoring me and then putting me down. So I felt that that line and I always felt like he was trying to push to get away with as much as he could. So he was always pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. And sometimes I felt like he knew what he was doing was wrong because he'd kind of say, sorry, sorry, and then do it again. So he'd be like, I'm sorry, I can't help it. I'm sorry you look so hot. Um, so it was like a sorry, but it wasn't a sorry. It was a very insincere apology, and it was also making him seem like he was the victim. Yeah. So one of the, I want to just rewind a little bit because you were sharing such powerful information with us. It, it sounds like what you initially described was overt, but at the same time, pretty subtle in some ways. And then it became more and more clear and uh, overt to you that, whoa, what is going on here? At what point were you, what was that pivotal moment when you thought, oh no, enough is enough? Yeah. It got to a point where I, I feel like men like this try and put you in a position because you're in a workplace, you have to be there. You have to be there at a certain time you know, there's a certain element of having to, to be on time and, and be at your desk and, you know, you know there, there's rules, right, in workplaces, in an office environment. And he took advantage of that. I didn't, oh, like, it was always an opportunity for, to find me alone. So, you know, there's lifts to get up to that floor. So he would find the opportunity to get me alone in that lift or in the kitchen, which is a very small kitchen. And, you know, it got to the point where I just wouldn't go to the kitchen anymore or I would wait until he was busy to leave for the day in the lift. And I remember coming home thinking, what am I doing? I'm literally running around scared in an office, like waiting to escape, like waiting to, to leave an office or not go to the kitchen to make myself a coffee. And it got to that point where I literally would dread walking into that lobby, getting in that lift, wondering if he was going to be in the lift or not, or waiting for me at the top. And I just couldn't bring myself to have a conversation with him in person. So I sent him a text message because I just wanted to say it wasn't appropriate. Please stop. And I just couldn't do it in person. I don't, and I still don't know why. I just, it was easier to do it on text. It's scary. It's scary. And this is someone who's your superior. Can you share what you did send on text? Yeah, I told him that 
this is the thing. I have the text right here. I started the text with, I hope this doesn't change our relationship. And I started like beefing him up. Like I want to continue working there. I like working there. Like I started with all these positives, but you need to stop. This isn't okay anymore. I feel stressed and anxious. So the text was two, twofold, was very clear at the bottom, but I started with like the positives to try and ease my message. And he responded and said, yes, I apologise. What was it like for you to get that apology? I didn't believe it and I expected to go in and for it to be the same, to be honest. So then what happened after you sent that text? The, that was like I sent quite a few text messages like that over the course of, of several several uh, months. Um, and then in the end, that final text, when I went in the next day and he brought my text message up, as soon as I walked in that day, um, I made it very clear because I'm like, this is my chance. Like now I've said it, this is my chance to like put an end to it. And that's when I threatened um, going and telling someone um, and the behaviour stopped after that but the sexual harassment behaviour stopped the bullying started on a whole new level it was like a switch and I was ignored isolated um, and, and not as, as you said Kavita overtly ignored he would take everyone else to lunch in front of me and leave me behind. He made sure that I knew I was being ignored. It wasn't just like pretend I'm not there. It was out to get me. That is so brutal and I'm so sorry you had to go through that. Can you share a little bit more and give some more examples of ways in which you felt the bullying? I mean, obviously the example that you gave, making sure that you know, everybody was taken out to lunch but you, right? So really make, you know, casting this negative light on you. Yeah, and it, he just wanted to make it known that I was being punished for not letting the sexual advances um, continue. Um, he would, you know, on the times where he wouldn't ignore me, he would bring me into his office and say such and such, you know, I don't want to name names, but such and such says that, you know, you're not doing good work with her. Uh, she has a problem with your work. And, you know, I, I, I left home crying that day. I, I left work early and cried. And I, I texted this person and said, is this true? Because you can come to me. Like, if it's work-related and you have a problem, we can work this out. She replied, and this is when I really realised there was a massive problem here. She's like, I don't know what you, you're talking about. I never said anything. And that's when I was like, wow, I just, I couldn't believe the levels of lies this person was going to. Um, and thank goodness that I had the foresight to reach out to this other, other uh, person I worked with. Because then I started to realise the gravity of how far he was going to go in the attempts to punish me and and for me I think to resign was his main goal it's like he didn't get what he wanted anymore he wanted me gone but knew he couldn't fire me Tracy thank you for sharing so much with us and being brave and courageous what or who or where did your strength and courage come from to recognize 
oh my goodness, this is horrific and needs to stop. I think you build strength over time. It's not like it just happened one day and I woke up and I'd had enough. I think it was like me testing out finding that strength. So I started Googling um, and and looking at, because to be honest, I didn't really even know the boundaries of sexual harassment. I didn't really understand the ins and outs. This isn't something that had happened to me before or I didn't, you know, it's not something you talk about. So I just started like Googling in the evenings, like, and hearing people's stories on the internet. And then it started like pennies dropping that, hang on a minute, this isn't right. And uh, Tracy, when you say that, here's my question. Um, I like your gut says this isn't right. But if you could articulate in a very body sense for our listeners, many of us are listening to you saying we have been marginalized based on our she pronoun self. And we don't always know how to deal with it because we're taught, taught, taught to say, oh my gosh, that's the best compliment, even above our brain that we could ever get is your curves, your skin, your hair, whatever, your eyes, you're mesmerizing. And still, I think even to 22, 2022, around the world, Australia, US, anywhere we land, women are still thinking we have to first and foremost be packageable on our skin and our brain is always secondary. And today you're giving us the narrative of saying like, I knew my skin was good enough and I felt 100% marginalized on my brain, my talent, all the other gifts I had. And you're an agent of change when you say like, my skin's probably not my best thing and nor should you judge it just on my skin because we don't do that for all the he pronouns, right? And you were challenging that truly and directly, Tracy, with what you were saying. So my question directly in summarizing all I just said is where can you go with our, our listeners and say, Please don't judge your skin and give them that empowerment that what what Colonel gave you, because you're obviously packaged in a way that a lot of people would love. But but for all of those who don't feel they're packaged or don't even know they're packaged or why would you say eschew that, eschew it and go with your gut? I ask you that question first. Yeah, I think, I think you know, identifying as a woman, it's something beyond this experience that I've struggled with. I was on a reality television called Married at First Sight, which has streamed all over the world in the US, UK. Um, you know, you all know the show uh, for those that love reality television. One of the, the big comments that was like the soundbite of the show on all the ads and radio was my looks weren't my best feature. That was the angle of 
Yeah, that was the angle of, of my relationship with my television husband was my looks weren't my best features. So well beyond this experience in this workplace, my looks have been a talking point literally in the public eye uh, for many, many years and that has always played on my mind. And it's this, again, I use the word this dance of wanting to wear what I want to wear and accentuating what I love about myself and my body, but also knowing I'm going to be commented on, complimented or criticised. And what I love what you just said, if I could re-quote you there, Tracy, you have an I pronoun that a lot of our listeners have not yet embraced. You said, I love who I am. I love my body, my shape, and you found that. And I actually love the dual narrative of tonight, our, our interview with you. You're giving two platforms to so many of us. You're giving the platform of what can we understand as really bad harassment, objectification, and you're also now giving all of us, hello, just in case you missed it, Tracy just said she loved her body all the time and body love is part of power. As far as I'm concerned, and you know, around the globe and around our skins we're in, we all have totally different body shapes, not augmented by injections, but the skin we're in, we're born with and we have to find love with it. And how'd you find body love? It was it was after being in the public eye and I realized After. Like, oh my gosh, that's cool. Like, I'm just listening to you say, oh, I was already a rock star, and then I found body love. <laughs> Whoa! But, but it's, it's funny, right, because no matter how big your social media following is, whether it's 100 or 1,000 or 100,000, you're always going to be complimented and criticized. There's always both. And I realized that I had to stop looking for that validation outside myself because you never know what's coming, whether it's going to be a compliment or criticizing. I used to wear things wanting the compliments and not the criticism, but I started to realize it didn't matter what I wore, I was always going to be complimented and criticized. So then I'm like, stuff this. If I'm going to, if I'm going to get both, right? If I'm going to get both and I can't get all the compliments, <laughs> I might as well just wear what I want to wear. <laughs> Good for you, Tracy, coming into just, I'm going to be who I am and I'm going to embrace the things that I want and I need. So thinking about this concept of wants and needs, um, there's so much in, in terms of being a survivor that folks experience. And part of that is needing some self-care and needing some support and so I'm wondering if we can pivot and you can talk a little bit about who were your supports? Um, how have you been able to take care of yourself? Yeah, for me, it was too scary to talk to my friends and family about what was happening. It was just easier to talk to strangers online. Why, why, why? No, you don't get away with that statement. 
go why 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 your family's kind of judgy or what what happened there <laughs> i was just scared right i was scared about what their reaction was going to be and because you have to see those people every day i don't think i was ready to step into that truth it was easier to kind of dip my toe in sharing my experiences with someone that I didn't have to see every day and build, as I said, build that strength up to then share it with my now husband, to share it with my mum. And I have now, but I couldn't do that straight away. I needed to find somewhere else to share without, as I said, that dipping that toe in so then I could build up the strength to then tell um, the close people in my life. May I just ask, Tracy, let's, let's do this. The toe dip, the first one, what was good, bad, ugly? They said blank. What, what happened? Yeah, it, it was complete validation. Like, we're so sorry, you know, that you went through that. Oh, my God, I've been in a similar situation. We're here for you. Um, it was just It was just complete support, and not just support, but, like, I've been through a similar thing. I've been through this. Tracy, I think, you know, what you just said was so amazing because so often we feel so alone and unsupported and, you know, you got validation right from someone you've never met. So that was one. What was two? So then I told my husband. And how long had you been with him? Uh, Two years. And Tracy, what did your husband say? Like, how did he support you? What were some things he said? What did he do? Yeah, but it's scary because I didn't know. And my previous experiences with men, unfortunately, showed me that it's not safe to share all of yourself. That has been my pattern. And I was determined that it's a pattern that for for me to have the real relationship of depth and intimacy that I really craved, I needed to go there because I just, you can't have that without sharing everything. So it was the risk that I had to take. And he surprised me and he continues to surprise me about how gentle and compassionate he is while not trying to solve all my problems either, but just, allowing the space for me to talk. Kavita, I should throw that to you. That's so brilliant. You're the you're the guru though, not me. Tracy, thank you so much for sharing that because you really speak to the power of vulnerability and the power of trust. And when you can truly be engaged with that, like you and your husband, that's when the healing can start to happen, right? So you are vulnerable, he's vulnerable, you trust him, he trusts you. And that's what starts to like the blossom of healing. You know, my next question, Tracy, is, you know, how did you get through that worst moment where you feel completely unworthy or objectified or have body image issues? When you're around someone all the time in a workplace that is just constantly making you feel like you're nothing and you aren't worth anything to the company, and you, he would say to me verbatim, 
you don't offer any value here. That's what he would say. And using those words that you don't offer any value here, I just came away from that environment thinking I don't have value. And I realised that he was just one person of many people, unfortunately, in my life that I was giving my power away to and up to them to decide if I had value or not. And I really had to look deep and go, hang on a minute, I decide if I have value or not. And I think as a mother, that was a big turning point giving birth to my son this year, that I don't want anyone to tell him that he isn't valuable. We decide how valuable we are. And I know how much value I give to the people that are close to me in my life. So I must have value because I'm a great mum and I'm a great wife and I'm a great daughter. So I must have value. So I just decided, and it makes me a little bit teary, I decided that I'm the one that decides that I have value or not. No one decides that but me. Oh my gosh. So well said. Tracy, cry everything you want and I wish you all tonight you should just go eat chocolate or whatever makes you happy. Tracy, you have been so courageous and shared with all of us today about your healing process and your continued journey. And I'm wondering, you know, can you impart if you could share with the world survivors two action items that could make their life potentially 1% better in transforming towards healing, what advice would you give them? I think sometimes it's hard to get out of your head, that rumination. For me, it was journaling. It was getting it out on paper. And for me, it was very healing to get it out of my head onto paper and then physically, you know, burn it or put it in the bin or get rid of it. And it was a ritual and a routine I did every day because the thoughts in my head would drive me mad. I needed to get them out. So that was a huge healing part. And two is if you don't feel ready or willing to share with the close loved ones in your life, there are so many great resources out there and communities that you can feel safe in and just start Googling and reach out. And I, I know you guys have a lot of those resources as well. If you can't find the community, you know, in your city or your area, they are out there online to help. And that was a big, big part of my my healing and, and building my strength. So much gratitude for sharing those two very tangible action items. Find support, get support. Maybe it's not your immediate family to begin with, but there are lots of platforms for support and the power of journaling that we hold so much. So be able to write it and let it go. Wow, amazing. We are so grateful to all of you who have joined us to listen and learn no matter your reason for being here. This podcast is for all walks of life. For support, please visit our resources listed on the takebackthenight.org website where you can tune into our upcoming events 
and gain access to our free legal hotline. Remember y'all, self-care is self-love. Oh my gosh, thank you so much, Tracy and Kavina for joining us for this episode. And uh, to all of our listeners, um, please continue to follow us each week for more stories from and hope healing from our survivors. And um, together we will continue to shatter the silence and end the violence. Thank you and good night. We're grateful to all of you who have joined us for this episode of Dear Katie's Survivor Stories. If you need support but don't know where to find it, please visit takebackthenight.org for a list of resources. You can reach out to our legal support hotline, uh, connect with other survivors through our social media, and you can also help other survivors simply by subscribing to our podcast and sharing it far and wide. Please consider posting it on your own social media with some remark about what it's done to help you and make sure to follow us on ours. Dear Katie is completely produced by all of us, an amazing group of volunteers. We care so much about this cause. The paycheck isn't what we're doing for. Thank you to all of our volunteers. Thank you to our listeners. And thank you for our survivors, wherever you are, for being present and joining us in this process of growth, strength, and healing. Always remember self-care is essential to healing and to thriving.